morning to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would. Ephesians chapter 2. I heard that comment about the food, and it reminded me I was at a church down south, like not just south of Alaska, south of even South Dakota, way down south. And it had a slogan on the front door, you know, where you have a banner that says, like, glory unto his name or something spiritual. Their banner said, if we ain't eating, we ain't meeting. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's probably pretty Baptist. I don't know if that's spiritual or not, but uh, amen. So I'm all for the food being there. How about you? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, if you're found... Your place there. We're going to go ahead and just just begin with a a few verses. If, if you could kind of summarize the book of Ephesians, it's about people like us. It's a group of people who know not God in their culture, in their history, in their background, and yet by the time they're done, God made them His people. And there's several parts of that process that are important. Most of them are doctrinal. Ephesians is a very helpful book of doctrine. And some of them are very personal. But this per portion of Ephesians chapter 2 is, to me, it's a foundational part of what it means to be someone who's a nobody, and yet God welcomes you into becoming a somebody. And that's what we're going to spend some time here in Ephesians 2. Let's take our, our eyes' attention down to verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. It's quite a sentence. Those three verses summarize, if you look at the end of it, there's a period, but they, they, they capture uh, a real significant issue in what it means to be lost. This morning, I'd like to deal with the topic, how lost is lost. Now, I don't believe there's any future to marriages or to family or to child rearing or to really anything that is biblically important to us for the purposes of being a, uh, you know, what we're doing here as far as coming to church and also the camp aspect. I don't think there's anything you can build on with being lost. And so this is a really foundational issue is to understand how lost, lost is. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get right into this. Our Father, we thank you that we have opportunity this morning to open the word of life. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. So Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. May we see Lord, may we understand. Lord, certainly there's not an insignificance to this topic. You wrote it not to a lost crowd, but to a saved people. And you had intent with that. Lord, help us to grab 
what you have for us and apply it to our own personal lives and certainly as a church help Plaque Road to grab hold of this passage and more. Lord, we love you. I pray that you would bless in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we contemplate a subject that's awkward, it's hard, it's not a fun subject, but it's a subject that must be contemplated. What it means to be lost. In today's culture, that's way downplayed. It, it is, it's looked at as though, even in churches, it's looked at as though, you know, almost like, you know, you don't want to deal with that topic. You don't want to look at it. It's almost like talking about death. It's just, it's so overwhelmingly big that it's easier to ignore it than it is to look at it. And I'm really glad God led the Apostle Paul to pen these words to the church at Ephesus because they're helpful to me. Even as a saved man, it's possible for me to begin to forget how lost, lost really is. Um, if you hold your hand there, because that's where we're going to spend our time, but you, I'm going to look at a few other verses as we go. One of those is Romans 8, and you can follow with me if you'd like, or I'll just read it when I get there. Romans 8 and verse 9 Romans 8 and verse 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That's a capital S, so it's the Holy Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he, have, he is none of his. And that's literally what it means to be lost, to be none of his. In other words, there is no real word or phrase or uh, explanation that captures what it means to be none of His. We call it being lost or being undone or uh, not being born again. There's a lot of ways we look at this, but it's hard to capture that and fully contemplate what it means just simply to be lost. Ephesians 2 does a really good job of helping us understand to saved people, helping them look back and understand what it's all about. In Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 3, it's all past tense. In, it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass. It's all past tense. It's all from a vantage looking back and saying, man, that's where I came from. That's who I was. That's what the Lord did for me. And it's good, I believe, to reflect upon how lost I, I, I truly was and what it really looks like to be lost. So certainly when we contemplate um, serving the Lord as, a, a, as an individual or as a family or rearing up a, a generation for the Lord within our families and our churches, certainly as we look at that whole aspect, it's really good to realize I was a mess. <laughs> I was lost. And not just you know, theoretically lost or, you know, with some philosophical twist to it. No, I was, I was lost, lost. And the Lord did something that I'm extremely glad about. He saved my soul. I'm extremely, eternally grateful for that. But let's, let's take this morning and let's look at a few things about how lost, lost is. Number one, I want you to notice what the lost cannot do. 
Did you know there's things lost people, they, they, they can't do? They just simply have no ability. And that's literally what begins to showcase here. Verse 1, and you hath he quickened, that word quickened means made alive, which really goes with the next phrase, who were dead. And you hath he quickened, who were dead. So we immediately begin to see that to be lost is to be dead. I am pretty simple in my mind, and it doesn't take you very long to figure that out. You'll figure that out real quick. But um, I try and act smart once in a while, and it usually falters pretty quick. So it's just a really simple mind. If I grew up in ranching community in Colorado, we lived out in the um, countryside where it's pretty obvious to tell what dead looked like. Is usually, uh, it usually was time to go get the tractor and get a chain and hook it on the back hoof of one of the beasts and drag him to the ditch that he's going to spend the rest of his rotten years in. He's just going to slowly decompose in this ditch. Uh, dead for a cow meant your, your belly was bloated and your feet were sticking straight up in the air. And you could see a mile away. You could see out in the field. Yeah. He lost a cow last night in the thunderstorm or, you know, a few days ago in the thunderstorm or something like that. You could see what dead looks like. And that's what lost is. It's you have the quickened who are dead. The word dead means there's no life. There's no volition. There's no ability of the will. No matter what was going on, it says ye who were dead in, inside, you were dead inside of this capsule or this captivity arena that God says in verse 1 are trespasses and sins. So two things we begin to immediately see. A lost person cannot do some things, number one, because they're dead in trespasses. The word trespass, you understand it, it just simply means there's a, a gate at the front and it says do not enter. Or no trespassing, right? And when you go over the gate because you want to, you've now trespassed. So the word trespass simply means you, you stepped out of line. Like you're not supposed to go there and you're there. You were dead in trespasses and number two was sins, right? You were dead in trespasses and sins. Sin is the opposite of trespass. Trespasses, you weren't supposed to go there and you went there. Sin is the idea of missing what you were trying to get to, like missing the mark. So, so, so sin is the idea of, I want to get there, but I can't get there. Trespass is, um, I, you know, I kept stepping over the line and going places I wasn't supposed to go. Does that make sense? There, there are two aspects of this whole issue of dead, dead in trespasses, no matter what I desired as a lost man, I continually did wrong. Continually. It was as if I was dead in trespasses. Behavioral flaws could never be cured. They were only directionally changed. Once in a while, my parents would direct me to a different level of trespassing. I couldn't trespass into this arena. And so I found a different area to trespass in. I couldn't sin in this area because mom and dad locked the closet, so I couldn't break in there anymore. 
But I found something else to do with my downtime. I could trespass in other areas. You see, the lost, they just trespass. They're dead in it. They literally have no volition or no energy, no life that says, hey, don't go there. They, they, they're going to go there. They're lost. They're dead in trespasses. Secondly, in sins, which indicates when you finally make up your mind, I'm going to do this. I am going to do it. And we do it every year as lost nations do. They Once a year, they go to the New Year's resolution. This year, I will have all good thoughts. I will always be polite. I will tell my wife every morning when I wake up, honey, you are the most beautiful woman in the entire world, and I love you so much. And so we have this great, that's my mark. I'm going to hit that. Come January 3rd, we're like, well, I'm going to try to get next year. <laughs> Amen. And it really doesn't matter what the mark is. We miss it. You know, in our culture, maybe in a church culture, we get young people growing up and they make, they dedicate, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to, whatever it is. You know, they make a dedication. And it's just a few months later, they're like, man, I can't do this. Yeah, lost, lost cannot do. They are dead in trespasses and sins. Romans says it this way in Romans 7, 18, says, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Without the Spirit of God, there's nothing. There, there's nothing. Amen? And it's good to remember that. I was dead in, as if I was trapped inside or locked inside this issue of trespasses and sins. I couldn't break out of that thing. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't promise my way out of it. I couldn't get better. I couldn't grow and mature into this awesome person. <laughs> Amen. I was dead. I was dead in trespasses and sins. Isaiah says it this way, all my righteousnesses were as what? Filthy rags. It's like the best I had. And when I really looked at him and gave him a good sniff, I'd say, yeah, that's pretty bad, isn't it? That's, that's pretty pathetic. That's what lost is all about. The best we had was still utterly lost. And I think it's good sometimes. It doesn't matter whether you're raised in a church or raised in a culvert. It really doesn't make a whole lot of difference what your background lost is lost. And it's possible sometimes in church environments to curb behavior to such a point that we think, oh, that's good. No, 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 no. It's lost. And lost is lost is lost is lost. There is no halfway saved. Look over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, just a few pages over. Philippians 3 and verse 9. Here's Paul. He says, And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And so here's the Apostle Paul as, as a religious person, and he's saying, hey, the best I had, I don't want it. I don't want that kind of righteousness. Because that kind of righteousness is still lost. That kind of works salvation of being a good person and doing the right thing and learning my 
scriptures and being zealous for God. That's what, that's what Paul's testimony was. He says, I was uh, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, my history, my culture, my background, and my own personal intensity. I was pretty active, but he was still lost. He says, I want to win Christ. Amen. Verse 8 says that I may win Christ, not having mine own righteousness. You see, our value without Christ is zero. Like nobody wants that. Amen? It's nothing. Without Christ, it's, it's dead. The, the lost cannot hit their target. And the lost cannot stop from trespassing against someone else's target. They're lost. We shouldn't be shocked and we shouldn't be alarmed to find out that lost is still lost. Amen. No matter what we, what sort of curtailing we do, lost is still lost. And the lost are fully, thoroughly, completely and dead in trespasses and sins. And by the way, this is how you can pretty quickly find out whether you are a child of God is when God challenges you on a trespass or a sin, what do you do? Because the lost cannot, but the saved can. They are quickened. Amen. They are no longer dead in trespasses and sins. They are alive in those same arenas. They're quickened. So let's go on to the second thought. Verse 2 in Ephesians chapter 2, what the lost must do, what they must do. And this is where it gets awkward because this requires honesty and it's easy. When you're saved, you look back and say, oh yeah, oh wow, yes, that's so obvious. When I was lost, I, I wouldn't have wanted to admit verse 2 at all. Let's look at it. Wherein in time past, ye walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. All right, let's, let's break this thing down. According to verse 2, the lost have a must do. And it's universal. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you're born and raised. It doesn't matter what you were trained or how you were how you were instructed as a young person. The lost all, it says, wherein in time past ye walked. So every one of these church members at the church at Ephesus, they all had this in common. They all walked according to something that wasn't so good. The, the idea of walking is the idea of, hey, this is my life's journey, right? This is what I'm going to do when I grow up. Amen. Walking isn't, isn't, it's not a word that illustrates how to lift up a leg and put it down. That's, that's, that's what we call stepping. Walking is actually where you're going to. It's the, it's the course. It's how I'm going to get to where I'm going to. So he says in verse 2, wherein in time past he walked according to, or if I can say it this way, in accordance to, you're, you're walking according to, Something that's not so good. According, according. Don't, sometimes we'll, we'll see a, a passage like this, and if we're not careful, we disarm it by suggesting that I don't fully understand it. So God uses real simple English. Your life's journey, you, you were walking 
according to or the same way that, look at this, according to the course of this world. There's three things that we're walking to. One's the course of this world, two is the prince of the power of the air, and third is the, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Okay, so three things that God says you're, you're walking, or ye were, walking in accordance with. So the first is that course of this world. Have you um, seen how believers carve courses in the land? They just carve their way through. And it really doesn't matter what you think about it. If you take your little sailboat and you put it in at the top of the whatever, a couple miles upstream, and you wait for it down a couple miles downstream, it's going to come within that bank-to-bank -bank region every time. Amen. I know your mind's like mine, like, well, what if it gets hung up on a log? You know, there's, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, bear with me a little bit here. The idea of course just simply means you're not getting out of the banks. Wherever this is going, that's where you're going. Amen. That's the idea of what a course is. It's, it's the age, the, the manner of the age. It, it's just carving a course through time. And you may say, well, but, but they were raised in a, a, a church or they were raised in a, in a bar or they, you know... At some stage, the Lord's being pretty clear here. He's saying, you know, we're all in the same course. It's just carving through life, and you will walk in according to this whole thing called the course of this world. This world has a course, and it's not for the Lord. Amen. We know that. Secondly, it's walking in accordance with the prince of the power of the air. We know who that is. That's Satan. He is the prince, or he has some command structure. He's the prince of the power or the authority, the, the, the structure that goes with princehood. He's the prince of the power of the air. In other words, this thing we live in called life, he is running it. And he's got this course, and he's directing the traffic of it, and you and I as saved people, we turn on the news or we, we listen to someone down the street and we're like, how can you think that way? Well, that's the same way you thought. No, I was raised conservative. Hey, conservative is not saved. Amen. Amen. Well, I was, I was raised to work hard. Work hard isn't saved. That's a whole different topic here. But this course that the prince of the power of the air is orchestrating is all, number three, generated by this spirit, verse two, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. There's a spirit and it works. That means there's energy involved. This spirit is working and it is generating some activity. And boy, oh boy, we can see that in our culture, can't we? We can see brain waves not flowing at regular speed because some spirit of the air is working this thing. And that's what's going on. And here's the point. Every person needs to understand, I'm either still there or that's where I was. I'm either still lost or that's who I was before Jesus Christ saved my soul. We weren't better we weren't worse, 
we were all in that same thing. And here's something to consider this morning for every one of us. Each lost soul must understand there are no exceptions. Nobody gets out of the bank and walks their own course. Now, every one of us think we are. I'm doing my own thing. We're like prisoners in a prison saying, I'm going to run my life. Okay, whatever. Amen. That's literally how lost people are. Is they, we will think, I'm choosing my life. No, you're not. Oh, no. It's chosen for you. It's a course that's carved throughout. You're not going to change. You can start your life. It'll be a vapor that appears for a while and vanishes away. And it'll end your life. And it'll be the same as it's been for everyone else. It won't have any difference. Look over to Psalm 53 just for a moment here. There are no exceptions. Sometimes it's hard for us to, you know, look at lost and realize how lost it really is. There's no hope without the Lord. Psalm 53 and verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They don't always say it with their mouth, by the way, but they do say it in their heart. There is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. And then verse 3 kind of says the same thing. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Every lost soul has found themselves in a course that they will do. It's according to the prince of the power of the air. He's running the show. And there's a spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It's going to work. It's going to take over. It's, there's, there's no way around it. And so as we begin to think about this as a saved people looking back, we begin realizing, you know what? That was me. That, that was me. I couldn't do anything about it. Look over to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3 says it this way. If I can get there fast enough, I'll just read it for you. Titus 3 and verse 3, there it is. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now I know the next verse says, but after that, and praise the Lord. We'll get to that later. But just notice that lost soul, they're going to do this. They will do this. Say, well, I'm not going to. I'm going to be different. No, you're not. That's what lost is. They're, they're dead in trespasses and sins. They, they must be. And, and they have to go down this course that is run by the prince of power of the air according to the, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Every single one of these are the same. I want you to notice about this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. I want you to notice a few things about this working spirit. Number one, notice his location. It says in verse 2, where in time past you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in. You see that? Say, so where's that spirit working? In. The word in just simply means inside. 
You mean inside? It's not some outward pressure? No. What's interesting is you can have two boys raised in a home with no TV, no neighbors, and nothing but honorable intentions. And one of them turns out to have a sacrifice that God looks at and is accepting of, and the other God is rejecting of. So how'd that happen? <laughs> I tell you how it happened. There's a location of that spirit, and it's in. It's inside. The spirit, and in a sense, is working from the inside. You can curb the outside. You can put yourself on diets. You can make yourself read your whole Bible. You can make your children uh, never use foul language. You can do a lot of stuff on the outside, but you can't touch the inside. Sometimes you look in the eye and you can see the inside is about ready to reach out and slap the outside world. But it's on the inside. It's the spirit that worketh in. Number two, I want you to notice the intonation. It says in verse two, the spirit that now worketh in the children. The children. Notice the intonation. Children is the idea of we all came from the same womb. Hmm. Means we all were birthed to this. Here's just a simple obvious. We didn't, didn't we did not become sinners. We are born sinners. We didn't learn it. Our parents didn't help us and our brothers didn't trick us into and society didn't throw these things on it. No, 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 no. We're already a child of this. That's who we are. We're all born in sin. Amen. There's no one that wakes up one day and says, man, I'm so glad I was born at Plaque Road Baptist Church. I didn't have to go through that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're all in this together. The implication is that we didn't have to learn it because we are sin. Huh. Number three, notice the, the implication of where this goes. It says, verse 2, at the end now, the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience. The implication is that I... My whole life, like everything I am, who I am, what I am, what, I, what my whole course of life and where I'm going with this thing, the whole thing of it is about being disobedient. Hmm. Like whatever God says, I'm going to miss that because I'm going to be dead in sins, right? And whatever God says don't do, I'm going I'm to step across that line because I'm dead in trespasses too, right? Yeah. Uh, this thing's going and the implication is I am disobedient from birth on. So this is me. Let me say it this way. This was me. This was you. If you're a child of God here today, this was you. Lost, indifferent, uh, proud, unconcerned, just completely, you know what? Everyone else is in the same boat and that's the way we're going. And there's no question that God has one clear consideration. Look over to First, Second uh, Thessalonians, rather. God has one clear consideration that we all will face at some point. Second Thessalonians, chapter one. And notice what it says in verse eight. I'm just going to let your eyes ponder that for a minute. It's a tough one to read. 
2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8. If you recall in Ephesians 2, 2, it says we're children of what? Disobedience. And here the very issues brought out, verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that, what? Obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 100% of us, that's where we were at. As a disobedient child, you know what? You never have to train a child to disobey. You never have to like sit down and teach a child, okay, you know what, you, here's, how you, here's how you steal. Here's how you pretend like it was your sister's fault. You never have to train that stuff because they're children of disobedience. It's, it's who we are. And God says that's the exact same issue that at some stage you decide whether you're going to obey the gospel or not. Hmm. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that obey not, that know not Christ, and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a big deal. Let me recap this for a minute. A couple of things we've looked at. I've given you a lot of little bits and pieces, and sometimes we can lose the big picture for all the little bits and pieces. So let me refocus on the big pieces. Number one, there's some things that we can't do. Lost people cannot do because they're, number one, they're dead in trespasses. No matter what they do, they're going to mess up. They'll tell their wife, I'll never do that again, and they'll do it again. Can I say this as gently as I know how? I believe that the reason God gives us families is to test some of our spirituality. And sometimes it's our families that know yeah, you're not quite what you were at uh, home last night. I mean, that church today, it's a little different. You're a little more amen -y today than you were last night. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Sometimes God knows how to test us. And he gives us a home, a bit of a culture pot to stir in our Christianity. And we see, okay, how did that turn out? Where it mattered to me, Amen. And a lost person, they go home and they stir it in their test laboratory and they find out, I can't stop trespassing. Must be my dad's fault. Must be the way I was born. I'm going to go see a doctor. Maybe I can get a pill for that. I'll tell you what it is. It's called, it's called lost. And lost also finds I can't do right. I sin. I can't do it. I love my wife. I, I, I love my children. I, I don't want to be that person. And, and I can't not do it. A lost person says there's some things I must do. This whole thing's just going down. I can't swim against it. I can't get out on the bank. I, I, I can't. It's going to take me where it goes. There's an energy working inside of me, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, and I'm one of those, and it's just taken me down the course of life. And one day soon, that life will end, and that's all it'll be. I'll have gone around the bend, and I'll just be like a floating piece of driftwood, and literally the lost soul must walk according to the course of this world. You won't go against it. You can say all that you want to say, but God said, nope, you, you, 
As a lost person, that's all you had. So the third thing we're going to look at this morning then is to build on that, verse 3, and that is what the lost will always do. They'll always do this. Among whom, this is that course of the world, that, that prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, right? You're, you're with me still? Just checking. All right. So among whom we all, does your Bible say all, by the way? Just, just a quick check. Okay. Oh, man. Because I was kind of hoping maybe I just had a mistranslation. There is no such thing in the King James Bible. It's a perfect Bible. But thank the Lord, it says all. That means you and I both were this way. Among whom we all had our conversation. Our conversation, our, our manner of life, who we are. Who, who I really am, among whom we all had our conversation in times past. Look over to Luke chapter 10. Most of us did a pretty good job trying to standardize our conduct if we became adults in society, right? I mean, most of us kind of figured out what other people want to see and we kind of conformed to that. Amen? Like red lights, we stopped sometimes. Depends how far you could see and if someone was parked along the side. One of those cars that doesn't like you going through, right? I mean, we kind of know how to standardize our conduct. We didn't walk in and slam our, our uh, door open on the children. I mean, we kind of learned, okay, I got to become a human. So we learned some of that conduct. And look at this. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 29, it says this. When the Lord's dealing with this exact issue, it says, But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And that's the whole spirit here, is the willing to justify. In, in other words, we all have this conversation, but we do a lot of justification in it. Amen. Well, Lord, I would, except I had a bad parent, or I had this bad experience when I was 12, or Lord, I would do that, but you know, the wife which thou gavest me, you know... I mean, we, we can actually get ourselves into a lot of justification mode and we have a lot of good excuses as lost people because that's all we have, right? I mean, we don't have anything else. We can't miss the mark, or sorry, we can't hit the target. We can't stop trespassing. We're going down the course that's run by Satan and we can't do a thing about it. All we can do is begin having some justification moments. And boy, we can come up with some doozies, some really good excuses. People leave church over this type of stuff. Well, I'd stay there, but this happened. Okay. So God's like, God didn't play a part of that? No, 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 no. You know, I, you know it would have been. I could have served the Lord, but then this took place. Uh, okay. So God's not part of that? Because that's exactly how lost people live. They all have their conversation. Amen. Can I just say the awkward here? Deep down inside, you've got to go to bed with your justification. If you're lost here this morning and you're listening to this, at some stage, you've got to go to bed with, God told me to do it and I can't do it. Am I just going to live with that or am I going to maybe ask the Lord why? Amen. 
Go back, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's see how this plays out. Among whom we also, we all had our conversation in time past in two things. Number one, the lust of the flesh, lusts, by the way, plural, lusts of the flesh, they change. If, it, if I want to do it, I'm going to do it. Amen. <laughs> if I want money, I'm going to make money. If I want a car, I'm going to buy a car. If I want to go do this, I'm going to go do this because that's who I am. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's, that's what lost people, that's all they have. The lusts of the flesh. Secondly, the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The desires. It's more than the, if it feels good, do it. It's now, I want to fulfill this. Like I have a goal. It says, uh, it says the desires of the heart, flesh of the mind. I want to fulfill that desire. I want to fill that thing up. Like I want three of them. I want seven of those. I want a bank account with six zeros before the, before the decimal point. You know, I, I, I've got a fulfilling thing and I want to do it. I'm just telling you, that's what God's saying is here. That's how lost people think. Amen. Everything in here is past tense saying, but you don't think that way. Amen. Lost people do, but saved people, something's different. Every lost person and every lost soul displays this differently based on their culture and their personality. And I get that. Some, there's a wicked event and they will fight it. They'll, they'll run towards it, right? They want to dive into that thing. Some see wickedness and they flee from it. I want to get away from that wickedness. Some run into outward vices. Some run out from outward vices. That's pretty common. In other words, some focus on the pleasure of sin, some focus on the pride of sin. Hello. You say, well, I, I don't go into sin, I, I go the other way. Okay, so what's, what's more profitable, the sin of, or what's more damnable, the sin of doing uh, wickedness or the sin of pretending that you're better than someone else because you didn't do the wickedness? Like, which one's worse? Amen. As we think through these types of things, we remember, like Romans 3.23, there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. you got the Gentile who knows no God, and you have, or, or all the phony gods, and then you have the Jew who knows Jehovah, and God just says, okay, there's no difference. There's no difference. And some run towards it, some run away from it, but for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't really matter whether one's religious or one's riotous. Lost is still lost. This is really important. One thing that I believe is very certain, lost souls will have a manner of living that is consistent with what God said they will live like. And verse 3 summarizes that. It says, and among whom also we all had our conversation time past in the lust of the flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And thirdly, or fourth, what is this? What point? Who's taking points? Is this four? Four. So fourthly, I don't even know. Is fourthly a word? Probably not. 
Fourth of all is simply what the lost will find. And that's at the end of verse 3. This is horrible for me to even read this. It's very, I, I have to be unemotional because it's so overwhelming. It says, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, were by nature. The, the word nature indicates this is the right thing. This isn't like a, a wrong justice. This God's holiness, by the nature of it, demanded a consequence for lost. Even though all of society is in the same course, even though every one of us, we miss the mark, we sin, and we're dead in it. Like, we, we can't, it's all we got. All we got is to keep trespassing and keep trespassing and keep trespassing. And the thing that brings us alive in ourself is lust of the flesh. Like, I want to do this. Lust of the mind, I want to do this. That's, that's what we have. And we'll go to fulfill it. That's all we got. And God says it is by nature the children, those were by nature the children of wrath. Can I say that what we will find at the end of that, every lost person will find wrath. The word wrath, there is no word, there's no concept. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you'll find various pictorial overviews of what wrath is. One of my favorite is in the Hebrew. It's, Hebrew is a very poetic language that gives description rather than, than uh, definition. So it gives you a, de a description of this wrath, and it's the idea of a, a, a flared nostril. It, it's the, the, the hatred, the animosity, the disgust, the, the vehemence that flares the nostril and perhaps even a bit of heat that would be associated with it. And it just says, by nature, the children of wrath. I want you to notice the wrath of God is not unnatural. God's such a good God. That He would hold His wrath for a space. That He would give you and I space for repentance. And He would hold that wrath back and say, not yet. Not yet. But you listen good. One day, He will be done. The long suffering of Christ will have finished. And then it is pure wrath. It says, who were by nature even the children of wrath, even as others. Look over to Romans chapter 9. We didn't earn wrath. We didn't learn this. We just did nothing as a lost person floating down, and that's where it ends up. Say, well, I didn't drink and smoke and cuss. It really doesn't matter. That, that's not the issue. You can't, like, you can't be good enough. Try it. Let God lay, lay one thing on your lap and say, hey, do this. And just try it. Try it for one year. Like, try, try being righteous for one year. You can't. The Word of God's written in such a way where you try just the Ten Commandments. Like, I'm going to do those for a year. Try it. Try it for a month. Try it for a week. Try to, do it, try to do all ten before the sun goes down upon your wrath. 
You find you can't do it. We don't have it. <laughs> Romans 9 and verse 22 says this, What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction? Boy, there's a lot in there that we're not going to get into this morning, but I'd just say this. That ought to scare the child of nature, <laughs> the child of wrath, to, to realize you mean there's a God that is just willing to finish this? Willing to clean it and be done with it? Yeah, there is. There really is. He's a good God. But He ends His patience sometimes. The Bible tells us that. Romans chapter 2 says it this way. And verse 4, Romans 2, 4 says... Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impotent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. And, and he goes on. And again, there's a lot in there, a lot of doctrine. Just a simple overview of it is, we don't win. Lost people don't win. We lose. Satan hates you with all he has. Satan knows that he can't do anything about it, but he knows God can and God will. All Satan can do is just find, you know what, we keep you in this course of life long enough. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. You may think you got life by the Woo, I'm an awesome dude, you know, but at some stage, all of a sudden, it's over. And then this takes place. Satan knows all that. He knows it. All he has to do is keep lost people lost. That's all he's got to do. So what do we do with that? Well, we go back to Ephesians chapter 2. And let me just maybe put a capstone on this. Verse 4, but God. <laughs> verse 1 through 3, I am in trouble. Amen. What the lost cannot do, what the lost must do, what the lost are going to find, all those things, but God. God is the one who can change all that. God is the one who fixes all of that. God is the one who takes me undeserving and unable and unwilling sometimes except for the goodness of God that led me to the place of repentance. And he takes and takes a soul and by obedience to his gospel will save them to the uttermost. But God, who is rich in his, what's it say? Mercy. Oh, God didn't save a soul because he had to. God saved a soul because he wanted to. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not because he had to. He loves you. He loves you so much. Herein is the love of God. It's commended to us or showcased to us. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That whole thing, verse 1 through 3, that ends in the wrath of God. Guess who, guess who tasted the wrath? Guess who tasted the death? Yeah, my God did. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. And then I love the parentheses. Do you see that? By grace are ye saved. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a child of God, please don't ever get yourself so distanced from being lost that you forget what it was to be saved. Don't get yourself so callous to the wrath of God that you, you forget what God's done for you. What a shame it would be for a child of God to live his life just like as if he's still in the river of stupid. When God said, hey, I saved you from that vomit. Get out of it. You don't have to fulfill the lust of flesh. You don't have to miss the mark and trespass. You're a child of God. You've been given the victory. Amen. Amen. Verse 6 says, has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Wow. Are we better than them? No. We worse than them? No, not doctrinally, but personally I would tend to say probably that'd be an arguable fact. But let me just say this. God's worth my life. Because he's, he's done everything. Everything I could not do, and he did it. Just like that. He quickened me. He made me to sit in heavenly places. I don't even understand what half of that means. I, I understand doctrinally, but I'm just saying, I'm not understanding why. Or do you know who, you know, you remember? He says, yeah, I love you. He saved me. Ladies and gentlemen, there's two conclusions to this. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, wake up. Do yourself a favor and be honest with yourself. You can't fix it. Try to. Try, test it for a day or a week or a month and find out, you know what, I'm just like a lost person. Okay, be honest about it. Say, all right, there I am. What am I going to do with it? Just pretend? And at the end of it, I'm, it's over? Is that what life is? There's, there's, there's entire funeral homes filled with body after 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 body. Am I going to be one of those? Or am I going to get a glorified body in heaven? Be forever with my Lord and Savior. Be welcome in the beloved. Be honest with yourself. If you're here this morning, you're watching this this morning, and you've never been born again, you've never obeyed the gospel, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never done that, be honest about it. If you're here this morning, and really the core of Ephesians 2 is to the saved. If you're here this morning and you're saying, that was me. I was. That's who I was. And then you find yourself getting down to verse 4 where it says, but God. You ought to somewhere in the course of privacy here in the next, I don't know, however long you've, you've got, just get on your knees before God and say, Lord, thank you. You saved me. You did for me what I couldn't do, my family couldn't do, my parents couldn't do. <laughs> you fixed me eternally. And maybe while you're saying thank you, you may want to ask him, Lord, is there anything I can do for you? You've done all that for me. You think I could do something for you? You may find out God's not so interested in your job or your adventures or your plans. He may have something special for you that says, you really are glad you're saved? Yes, sir. Well, how about you do this? I'd love to, Lord. Amen? We have a great God. 
Let's love him. Pastor, I'm going to turn it over to you. I trust these things will be something we can consider and ponder on as the Holy Spirit works where he needs to.